The Bible passage we're having a look at this morning uh, together is um, the first one in our five-week series entitled One Thing, as Jago mentioned. Our hope is that this series will challenge all of us as a congregation about some of the different idols, um, things that we're often tempted to put above Jesus in our lives today. Um, So can you reach to the end of your pew, grab a Bible. We're going to be turning to page 1042, 1042 to the book of Luke chapter 10. So Luke chapter 10, we're starting at verse 38, um, reading through verse 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Can we just pray as we study this together? Father God, we just thank you for the privilege of being in your word now. And as we sit at your feet, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. On week one of Jago's um, series that he just finished entitled, What Kind of God? He used Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 to 7, to paint the picture of who God has revealed himself to be. His name is Yahweh, and he has revealed himself to be the one who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and in faithfulness. And that made me think a little bit about the names that we have and what images and associations they might carry. So when my husband David and I had our children, we were super intentional about the names that we gave them and the associations that hopefully would be linked to their names. So this first picture, I'm not sure if if it comes up clearly, this is Zoe, and Zoe's name means eternal life. The second picture of our other daughter, Abigail, and her name means delight of her father's heart. And finally, this is Rebecca, and obviously her name means captivating. Names, they carry meanings, and they carry associations with them. And when I mention these two women, Mary and Martha, I wonder what you associate with their names. And as I've spent some time studying Mary, this is the image that has come to mind for me, maybe a younger version. And as I've studied the person of Martha, there's been an image, but there's also been a prop that's come to mind. This is a Martha to me. This emergency vehicle that's giving off an incredible sound. When we read about Martha in this passage, it's easy to be condescending. But let's put ourselves in Martha's shoes for a minute. Some commentators have said 
that there could have possibly been more than 100 people at this gathering. Jesus, all of the disciples, and all of the members of the community who were so eager to be with Jesus. And it appears that this visit to Martha's home was spontaneous. These were the days when just the water to prepare the food and to give to the thirsty guests had to be drawn from a well and lugged back up to her home. These were the days pre-electricity, pre-online shopping deliveries, pre-ready-made meals that you pull out the freezer, ready-made bread loaves, even pre-deliveroo. She couldn't just phone and ask them to bring food for 100. There was also the heavy pressure of the cultural value of Near Eastern hospitality, as well as the fact that the star guest was Jesus, plus potentially a hundred other people that were cramming themselves into her modest home. Wouldn't we all be a bit distracted by the sheer logistics of hosting this event? And actually, in this light, it's not Martha that's the strange person in the story. To me, it's Mary. What's remarkable is that Mary wasn't distracted. She ignored the instant to-do lists so that she could lean into Jesus. And this irritated Martha. Now, I can really identify with Martha. I'm the oldest of three sisters. This is me as a child with my two sisters. Um, And growing up... um, I, I was, got used to being in charge, and I was in control. And just like Martha, I worried about details. I was always wishing to please, wishing to serve, wishing to do the right thing and to make sure everybody else was doing the right thing. But the problem that I ran into very early on is that this often makes, makes other people feel very uncomfortable. I clearly remember being on holiday with my family, and the four of us children, we needed to share rooms. So one of my sisters had to share a room with me, and the other one would have to share a room with our older brother. Do you know, I still remember there was a full-on argument about who didn't want to share a room with me, because I was such a nag. (laughs) If you can see that picture, all three of them and their teddy bears are on one bed, and I'm on the other bed. (laughs) They didn't want to share with me. In my worst form, I can make people feel really uncomfortable with my attention to these details. And both Martha and I would find it really, really hard to relax and enjoy our guests when there was so much to do. And even harder to accept the Marys of this world and their lack of cooperation in all of the preparations. In Martha's eyes... Mary was either being negligent or lazy. And Martha was so upset about this that she interrupted Jesus to get him to agree with her. And we can all identify with Martha in this regard, I'm sure, whether we're at work or we're at home or we're serving in another organization in some way. When somebody doesn't seem to be pulling their weight, we get grumpy. We get self-righteous, we get indignant, and we complain to the boss sometimes. We even question whether others care for us. 
Now, just to clarify from the outset, Jesus is a fan of hard work. The Bible is full of commendation of diligent service. Matthew, um, up here, Matthew 24 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Do what I asked you to do. Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. But in this case, Jesus doesn't commend Martha. Instead, he reproved her. To just about everybody else present, Martha's service probably seemed to be flowing from a gracious servant heart, but Jesus could discern differently. He saw that Martha was serving out of anxiety, not grace. So what was making Martha anxious? The passage says that there were many things that she was worried about. But my hunch is that the main thing on her mind right then was how she pleased or impressed Jesus and the other guests. I can easily believe that she was thinking, What if my service of the food or the state of my home reflects badly on me and my family? And this anxiety would have blinded her to the one thing necessary, listening to Jesus. And it would have also made many unnecessary tasks feel completely urgent. Many unnecessary tasks feel completely urgent. Does this ring true for any of us who find ourselves serving a lot? My family um, has had the incredible privilege over the last three years to live in a beautiful, large home in Balham. Um, And as such, we've been able to host many different people. We've been able to host family. We've been able to have friends come stay. We've had friends of friends. We've had enemies of friends. We've had friends of enemies. We've had enemies of enemies who've become our friends because we've got an enemy in common. And and all of this has given us many opportunities to host. And anybody who knows me knows that I love having a full house. And for the most part, I think I'm a pretty easygoing hostess. But every now and again, I get this Martha ambulance emergency service complex in me, and I'm an absolute whirlwind. I can remember a time not so long ago when I spent so long sweeping every crumb off the kitchen floor that when the next mealtime rolled around, I made my children, my three-year-old and probably two-year-old and twin five-year-olds at the time, I made them sit outside to eat their dinner because I just cleaned the floor. Like, that's crazy. I can remember a time when there were two young women staying for a few days. They weren't believers. One was quite new in her faith, and the other one wasn't a believer. And I got this bee in my bonnet about sweeping the dust balls off the basement floor. And so there they were, these gorgeous women, young women, sitting around my kitchen table, having some wine, having some great conversation. And I was whizzing around the basement with a dustpan and brush, sweeping up the the mothballs. What sadness. What sadness. 20 
years from now, those women aren't going to sit back and say, sure, Sarah Seabrook's basement. <laughs> Wasn't that gorgeous? Didn't, like, no dust balls in there. But what a missed opportunity of speaking words of life and truth and doing this journey that really matters with these young women. I'd lost sight of the one thing. I'd been taken captive by my anxieties and been fixated on what in effect had become an idol. Now this kind of anxiety is very subtle. It has a selfish root, but its fruit looks deceptively like unselfishness. It's the desire for approval dressed up to look like the desire to serve. It's my caring what you think of me, dressed up to look like my caring for you. It looks so much like the right thing that we believe it is the right thing. And that's why Martha was so confident when she went to Jesus that he would agree with her about Mary. One author puts it like this, in holy things may be unholy greed. And C.S. Lewis says, what feels like zeal might only be fidgets or even the flattering of one's self-importance. Jesus is so kind in his gentle rebuke. He pointed out the heart of the matter in order to bring good in Martha's life, to help her to be transformed because of his encounter with her, exactly what any encounter with Jesus is intended to do for all of us, to bring change, to bring freedom from these burdens, these chains, these strongholds. In her case, it was an addiction of her need for perfection and control and striving and approval, but he brings the opportunity to exhale to breathe into that brown paper bag, lest we hyperventilate and keel over. He gives us the opportunity to ground ourselves in a strong anchor, lest we get overtaken by the waves of self-imposed pressures that are sure to dunk us. We've all heard the saying, there's no need to make a meal of it. It's the difference between the service done out of a creative, joy-filled, partnering in something bigger than me spirit, and that done out of an obsession and steeped in often self-assigned pressure that very quickly becomes condescending and oppressive to everybody else who's not on the same roller coaster. When we're serving like this, we have an ambulance complex we're careening, there's a siren blaring, it's high-pitched, it's urgent, it's reckless, it's frantic, it's controlled in an out-of-control way. We're yelling, get out of my way, easily justified, very important, but offensive nonetheless. And anyone who isn't helping me, getting this most important thing done is judged. And this pace lands up making us a burden, to others. We either land up go, go, going so much that we burn out and others have to take care of us, or we're exhausting to be around, making others feel inferior, criticized, messy, not good enough. 
but it's couched in a way that sounds like we're trying to be a blessing. At that moment, Mary's attention is riveted on Jesus. She's enthralled. She's in awe. She's captivated. She's found the one thing, and she is shamelessly drinking in his every word. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening. She's giving him her undivided attention. She's captivated by him. She is concerned with only one thing. Verse 42 says, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Do you remember the last time you were truly in awe of something? Like gobsmacked, awestruck, so captivated that it got your full undivided attention. Inevitably, we find that what we give our attention to, we land up adoring. What we give our attention to, we land up adoring. And this is what was happening to Mary She, even in her very posture, was sitting at his feet, absolutely captivated by Jesus and the words of life that he was speaking. And I wonder if this is how you and I are when we spend time with God. Do we ever actually really take the time to concentrate, meditate, commune with him, listen for him? One author finds the internet a large part to blame for this um, diminishing ability to be able to concentrate on reading his word. This quote here um, hopefully will come up that says, what the net seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. To adore, to be captivated by Jesus, we need to spend much undivided time and attention on him, in time alone with him, in prayer, in reading, and in meditating on his word. More and more, this is becoming a lost privilege. So what do I do with this as I leave this place today? Three things um, to take with us. Firstly, to be honest. To say to myself, when I serve, do I serve because it justifies my place in a family or a community or a friendship group or an organization? Do I serve because it makes me feel needed or indispensable? Do I serve because it promotes my reputation or the reputation of my spouse? Do I serve because it might get my child a place at that school we've always wanted her in? Do I serve because it earns me credits with so-and-so that I can use in the future for a payback? Do I serve because it ensures that I'm never called lazy or underachieving or be accused of not pulling my weight? 
This kind of service is frenzied, it's frantic, it's ugly, and it's destructive. And it makes me ask myself whether it's for my own glory or if it's for Jesus' glory. So let's be honest about why we're serving. Secondly, let's be obedient. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus, when he speaks to Martha here, is tender and he's compassionate, and he's not condescending or shaming her, but with compassion he says, Dear Martha, calling her to himself, to life to the full, for a deep shift that only love and compassion and tenderness can draw out of us. And finally, to be captivated. To allow ourselves to be captivated. We need to give him more of our attention. We know that it's true in every area, whether it's our job, whether it's with our children, whether it's with somebody we really admire, or if it's something more subtle like our phone. How many times have you checked your phone in the last 20 minutes? Or the cleanliness of our home. Whatever gets the most of our attention lands up getting most of our adoration. Research actually shows that if we spend more time in awe, wondering at rainbows, wondering at the smell of flowers, um, hanging around with children, jumping in puddles, just follow a child for a day and they'll take you to the things that lead us to awe, then we actually become less individualistic. We become less self-focused and we become more focused on God and on those around us. Awe helps us to understand our insignificance within creation and our significance to our creator. But just like Martha missed Jesus sitting right in front of her, we too can miss majesty when it's right in front of us. At first, this sounds in, in, uh, counterintuitive, but it actually begins to sound a lot like the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. That's marveling at the one that's greater than everyone else. And then love your neighbor. That's reaching out to others. Imagine how different our service would be. Imagine how different our service would feel and make others feel when we operate out of this. And as we come to know Jesus, fully understand who we are in his eyes, then we will come to be in awe of him. And just as we really only take seriously the criticisms and the compliments given by those who we know love us, we will come to find what Jesus says about us is the source of our identity. And that'll replace those false, condemning, insatiable idols that we've been striving to serve all along. We unyoke ourselves from those and we yoke ourselves to him. And out of that new identity, we can serve in a way that is generous and that is content and that is life-giving. And so my plea this morning for myself and for all of us here is that we disentangle ourselves from our self-glorifying chains that are often rooted in fear and in anxiety, and we allow ourselves to be captivated by Jesus instead. Can I pray?
Father God, we thank you that um, you promise you are making all things new. And as we look at creation, um, God, we pray you give us eyes to see how you're doing that in our world around us. But God, we also thank you um, for your grace in our lives and for those places and times where we have needed you to do a new work in us. We thank you for your forgiveness and we thank you that you give beautiful ashes and that you're continually making us more into your image. And Jesus, as we focus on you as the one thing, as we strive to be captivated by you, we pray that you would transform our works, our words, our lives to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.